Yeah, they've done it again. The Roosters back-to-back -back premierships in the NRL. Hello and welcome to NRL.com's review show for season 2019. I'm Zach Bailey, joined by three of the best in the business, a couple of journos and a player, starting with Michael Chamis, our chief reporter, retired West Tiger, Robbie Farrah, and the Sydney Morning Herald's Adam Pingelli. Uh, what, a, what a night. It was fantastic, Zach, wasn't it? Uh, tinged with a lot of controversy then. I don't think we can detract from the achievement of the Roosters. It was, a, it was a great grand final. I don't think there was a lot of football play, but for sheer brutality and the, the nature of the contest, it was, it was just, you couldn't, t couldn't take your eyes off it, basically. Robbie, there was a fair bit of controversy towards the end. You were out there, but will mm. history view the 2019 grand final result as the wrong result? Look, it's hard to say whether it's a wrong result or not. You don't know what was going to happen, regardless of those decisions. Um, but it's a shame that we're talking about the referees a day after such a, a great um, you know, spectacle. We'd rather be talking about the players and, um, yeah, look, at the end of the day, the Roosters were good enough to take advantage of, of the luck that they got. Canberra weren't. You know, Canberra had their opportunities when Cooper Cronk went to the Symbian and, and didn't take those opportunities, whereas the Roosters took full advantage of, of the luck that they, that they had from the referees. So, you know, all, well done to the Roosters and all in all, it was a, a great night. Robbie, if you were in that Canberra team, would you have felt dudded or would you have felt that you weren't good enough? Oh, probably a bit of both. Look, they'll look at that game and, and they'll know they had their opportunities. At, at eight all in the second half, um, with the Roosters down to 12 men, uh, Canberra should have taken full advantage of that and they didn't. They'll be kicking themselves because of that. But at the same time, um, with the six again ruling, there was eight minutes to go in the game, I think. The Roosters were under the pump. Um, six again there is such a crucial point in the game. Um, it's such a crucial call. And for the referees to change their mind at that instance, um, yeah, Canberra will be looking at that as you know, the, the, the time in the game that the game let slip. So do you think it was more a psychological impact than a physical impact definitely. on the Raiders? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, there was another bizarre incident at the start of that match when uh, Luke Curie went to put a kick in. It hit CSOL's head and it hit the uh, Roosters trainer. The Roosters got the ball because they had the territorial advantage. Robbie, how is a game do you think we can crack yeah. down on this? Yeah, yeah. Trainers, I think, you know, obviously now there's uh, the conjecture about, you know, when and if they should be on the field um, and, and at what times. Um, yeah, that's a clear try scoring opportunity, in my opinion, for, for the Raiders. I think Elliot Whitehead will win the race of that ball. You know, you look at the game, the Roosters scored off the back of that and then they scored off the back of the six again, uh, no ruling. So both their try, they were the two tries they scored in the game and they both came off controversial uh, calls. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not a good look, especially in such a big game where and, and I know the rule is there, uh, the territorial advantage, but I think we've got to use our discretion at times as well. Like it was last play, uh, you know, the Raiders had the advantage. It was a poor kick. They put kick pressure on, yet they found themselves you know, losing the ball you know, off the scrum feed. Uh, to me, that's, that's a bigger talking point out of the game than the six-again call because that's completely avoidable. We can mm. get trainers off the field. Like it was the third minute of the game. I couldn't tell if he was rendering any medical assistance to a Rooster no, player in that no, set. No, no. They shouldn't be on the field. They shouldn't be on the no, field unless no. there's a stoppage. Yeah, I know what happened earlier in the game. We tend to concentrate what happened later in the game. But to me, that was the bigger controversy than yeah. the six-again call. But, well, the Raiders didn't touch a ball for about five minutes after that. 100%. I think the Roosters went down, got a repeat set, scored a try. The Roosters got the ball back off the kickoff and went down there. 
It was five minutes before the Raiders touched the ball, whereas yeah, that should have been Raiders' ball. Mm. Michael, what is the rule that the NRL has to enforce? Because this is their chance to do it. They were embarrassed on the biggest stage. Well, it gives them an opportunity now to change a rule that's been in the game for so long. It's so outdated and it's, it's, it's embarrassing, really. The game goes down to something. We're talking about this, about a grand final. It's hit a, a, a trainer and then the Roosters have obviously capitalised on this situation. They've got to stop trainers on the field unless there's a stoppage or an injury. They can come on the field for a scrum if it's a penalty, but it's ridiculous. You've got you've you've seen firsthand what it's like. What what are they actually doing out there? Passing on messages? Um, well, there's there's different roles for different trainers. Um, a, lo- a lot of them is about hydration. I know it's a big thing, obviously, in our in our mm-hmm. game is is and that's why he's out there so early because mm-hmm. you know you, you want to make sure you're hydrated all the time. So they're out there running water to the players all the time. Um, other trainers are out there giving messages from the coaches, but. Yeah, as, as you said, um, oh, I think they're out there way too much um, and sometimes getting in the way, as we've seen on the biggest stage in our game. Well, hopefully we do see some changes in the off-season regarding when uh, trainers can and can't be on the field. Uh, Adam, do you see either of those teams back on the grand final stage in yeah, 2020? absolutely, Zach. I, I can see no reason why the Roosters can't be there for a, a third straight year and win a third straight comic. The Raiders have only got improvement in them. When you look at their roster, they're not really losing too many players. They're adding George Williams, who's coming across from the from the Super League, who, from all reports, is a very talented halfback. So I would say the Raiders are, are going to improve next year and the Roosters will just be... They lose Cronk, but Kyle Flanagan's a, a pretty handy replacement. Robbie, uh, the Raiders were the hunter this year, but they'll become the hunted next year. Yeah, they will, uh, but they'll be hungry as well uh, to go one better and uh, they'll have a bit of stability in their side. I don't think they'll have too many changes, as, as Adam said. They've got George Williams coming over, but other than that, the core group of their team will stick together and they'll be looking at going one better next year. I don't know whether... I don't think the Rabbitohs or the Storm actually get better next year. I think the Rabbitohs team is ageing and struggling a little bit, limped into the finals, mm. and the Storm were incredible for the, gen, for the, you know, for the regular season, but fell away in the finals. I can't see them getting getting better. So really the, the question is, who is going to challenge the mm. Roosters and Raiders next year? All right, we've got uh, a different take on this year's uh, season review. Instead of talking about the big talking points throughout the season, the biggest stories, we've got statements. I've got eight statements that I'll throw to the gentleman here. And we're going to start with, I was wrong about. Michael? Oh, eat a bit of humble pie. I was wrong about Jack Wyden. At the start of the year, I laughed when they moved him into the halves. I thought it wasn't going to work. I thought Canberra would be... Well, I didn't have Canberra in my eight, to be honest. But he has been fantastic this year, Jack Wyden. Not just in six for, for Canberra, but in you know, you know, being thrown back into the centres in origin. He was outstanding for Freddie uh, and was easily the, easily the best player on the field in that grand final. Uh, he's been tremendous in that number six. And... and It'd be interesting to see how that dynamic works next year with George Williams, because if he can replicate what he did last year, uh, Canberra will go close to winning it. Robbie, what were you wrong about? I was wrong about uh, Manly. We played Manly round one at Leichhardt, and we beat them quite convincingly, and I thought they were in for a tough year. Mm. But then to see the way uh, they were under Des, uh, the injuries they had, and they just kept winning. And they were a side that every week I kept waiting for them to fall over, and they just kept performing regardless of the injuries they had. They, They had a really... A really good season. Uh, when you look at you know, Tom Trapojevic wasn't there for the good majority of that year, and then losing Joel Thompson, Curtis Sirinan, and they probably should have beaten South Sydney in this semi-final, uh, to be honest. So, yeah, I think for myself, uh, I was definitely wrong about Manly. Well, that's that's a team. We talk about teams that can beat the Roosters and Raiders. That's a team in 2020 that could hmm. that could win. Well, we're going to get a bold prediction at the end of the show from. Get a bit Reed, excited, Zach. Adam, what were you wrong about? Uh, Zach, I was wrong about Anthony Seabold and the Broncos. I genuinely thought. Anthony Seabold was going up to take over a team that was going to be a legitimate top four chance and I fully expected them to be challenging to play in a grand final and the way they just ebbed and flowed with their form throughout the year, they never really hit top gear and then 
that finals defeat against Parramatta, 58 nil. I've never seen anything like that. And I've, I've got to ask you guys. I, I don't know how they recover next year. How do they get that out of their mind when they come back to training, and push that aside? Because some of those defeats they can linger for a long time. Yeah, they can. Um, you know, I think they really struggled this season. The Broncos. They lost a lot of experience at the end of of the previous season. Um, I think they were very inexperienced side. They had a lot of great young talent um, in that in that team in that squad, but. I think they struggled to handle with the, the ebbs and flows of an NRL season. And then on top of that, they, they lost Cody Nicarima uh, early on in the year. And they, they had a lot of uh, changes in their spine. I don't think they were settled on their halves and their fullback. We saw Darius Boyd move from fullback to the halves and then uh, Milford. And then they kept changing with Sullivan at, um, and Dearden. And, Dearden and, and they just weren't settled there. So I think for the Broncos next year, I think they need to settle on a spine and really go with that uh, you know, for the whole season. But the, the talk going into the off-season is they're still not settled. Whether Brodie Croft's no. going to go mm. there, uh, whether they you know, go for Dearden, whether you know, Jack Bird's going to hang around, whether Matt Lodge should be captain. Because they got, they got the forward pack. They've got one of the most dynamic forward packs in the competition, but you know, if they haven't got the half steering them around, I don't think they're going to have a successful year next year. Uh, Aidan Caesar an option for him? Not a bad shout. Not a bad shout. But he, he won't leave... Uh, my understanding is he won't leave Canberra unless he gets a deal equal to because he's signed there for another year. He's been playing reserve grade all year, basically, you'd imagine, behind George Williams. I, I thought well, Cameron. he started the year or yeah. in, in first well, grade, got injured, was out of the, out of the mm. um, first grade well, race. do you think he starts a year in, in reserve grade? Or he's just taken them to a grand final. Yeah. So does yeah. George Williams get a free ride into the number seven jersey? Maybe, maybe. I'm not sure. But I, I, I would have thought if Brisbane's looking for a halfback that's potentially available, I thought Aiden Seas would be you know, near the top of their hit list. Mm. Probably ahead of Brodie Croft, to be fair, mm. on what he's done. All right, our second statement. I was shocked with Adam. Robbie Farrar running out to Leichhardt Oval in round 25. <laughs> that was all. <I. laughs> uh, Shamus can talk us through this. I think we're both high in the stands at, uh, at Leichhardt Oval there. I think I'll probably... High up in the stands. Ch- ch- chowing. <laughs> <laughs> chowing down to meet Paul, coincidentally, when the, when the announcement came through. Um, Robbie, I thought you were a million to one on Sunday. It was Sunday morning when I woke up to play. And then mm. uh, the buzz that that created was, yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, well, thought he was a million to yeah, one. Yeah, well, I, you know, I was shocked. I, I went there, obviously, knowing that I wasn't going to play or thinking yeah. I wasn't going to play. Yeah, the decision was made uh, on the Wednesday at training, and that was the way we went with it. We, you know, we, we kept the smoke and mirrors going to, yeah. to kind of try and confuse uh, the Sharks. And um, I showed up there just to enjoy the day with you know, my family and friends in the crowd, and I knew it was going to be my last day at Leichhardt. Um, <laughs> then to get the call that you know, Tubbsy went down injured in the warm-up was, was pretty incredible. And... Uh, yeah, it's just amazing how it all worked out. I would have obviously loved to have won the game and mm. um, you know, qualify for the semi-finals, but to get one last game at Leichhardt was a, a dream come true. And it shows what your body went through. Uh, you are on the treadmill yesterday and your leg still isn't 100%, and that was weeks yeah. ago that you played. Yeah, so yeah, I, just, I haven't looked after it since, obviously, but even to play that game, you know, I was supposed to be six weeks non-weight-bearing from that injury on crutches, and I played within four, so it's probably not the smartest idea, but um, <laughs> I've got plenty of time to recover now. All right, Michael, you were shocked with? Yeah, look, I, I was most shocked with Latrell Mitchell being dumped from Origin. I, at the time, I was, I was flabbergasted into, in regards to what New South Wales were thinking. Obviously, it was justified in regards to the way they played after Latrell's dumping, but to, to, to dump the best centre in the game and the best centre in the game by a long way, it was a huge call from Brad Fittler, one that paid off in the end, but uh, shocking none the least. Yeah, it was shocking, uh, as was your most shocking. Yeah, my most shocking uh, statement for the year was Nathan Brown sacking, and I think the timing around that. Yeah, this season was still alive, and I think Nathan Brown has done great things down at Newcastle. He, he really, yeah, he took over when they were the wooden spooners for I think three years running, uh, turned them around, brought in several number of marquee players. 
uh, halfway through the year they were in the top four and then their season was still alive with three rounds to go. And the timing of it was just so weird that they derailed their season by sacking him. We played them the next week at Leichhardt, I'm uh, sorry, at Campbelltown and they came out and they just weren't, they didn't show up. We beat them by 40 or 50 that night. Um, and I, I think the sacking of Nathan Brown and the timing around it really derailed Newcastle's season. What was more shocking for me wasn't the fact that he was sacked, it was the way they capitulated over the second half of the season because at the midway point of the year, the way Mitchell Pearce was playing, I had them in my top four. Yeah. I imagine many teams thought they were a top four chance. Yeah. yeah well, I, the two things I take out of it is that Nathan Brown, he was brutally honest when, when he stu stood aside, but he said, I'm a rebuild coach. So it's going to be interesting. If he wants to win a comp, he's going to find hard to go to a comp that's already got a set-up roster because he's ta tagged himself on the coach who goes into clubs and fixes them. Adam, is the club in a deeper hole than they were three or four years ago? I don't think that's the case, Zach, to be honest. I think they're in a better spot than what they were three or four years ago with the, with the roster they've got there. But it's going to be a huge task for Adam O'Brien to take them on his first gig. He's got a lot of big personalities there he's got to deal with as well. The Kalen Ponger situation I think is going to be unfolding throughout the year as mm -hmm. well about, you know, I know it's a long way to go until his contract actually, actually lapses with Newcastle, but there's going to be a lot of talk about it in the media for the next 12 months. I think it's going to be a huge task for Adam O'Brien. But, yeah, to answer your question, they're in a better spot now than what they were three years ago. All right. Uh, the biggest disappointment was, Robbie... Yeah, obviously for mine was us missing the, the top eight this year. Um, you know, I think at the start of the year, if you, if, you, if you said to us we'd finish ninth, I think you'd probably think the Tigers overachieved. But oh, I think we, we played some really good football this year. Uh, we were pretty strong uh, right throughout the season, pretty consistent. Um, we let some games slip that it really came back to bite us in the backside towards the end of the year. You know, Penrith at, at Penrith early in the year, Melbourne down there. Goal kicking at times probably crueled us as well. Uh, so it was, a, it was a season of near misses for us. And then at the end of the day, we, we had our chance in that, that last game at Leichhardt to, to beat the Sharks and, and make the semis, and we weren't good enough. So it would have been nice to finish semi, uh, playing semi-final footy before I retired, but it wasn't meant to be. Michael? Uh, for me, I touched on it a little bit earlier, was the Knights falling away. Uh, that's the biggest disappointment of the year. The, the, the whole comp was right in Newcastle. It, was, it would have been great to see them back in finals football, given what they had gone through. And you know, there are a lot of people there who... Yeah, guys like Caelan Ponger and David Clemmer and, and Mitchell Pearce who have been through a lot over you know, their careers, more so the last two than Caelan, but I just felt that that was the biggest disappointment, their inability to capitalise on what they had built. Yeah, when you look back at round 11, you saw Mitchell Pearce stroll over against the Roosters and kiss his emblem. It was a, a long 14 or 15 weeks after that. Adam? Uh, St George Illawarra Dragons under Paul McGregor this year, Zach, I think it's a no-brainer for me. That When you look at that roster, that is a genuine top eight roster, potentially a top four roster. I know they had dramas throughout the year, but that team has grossly underachieved this year, finishing second from bottom. And I think they've got a huge first six to eight weeks of the season next year. But to me, I think they were easily the biggest disappointment this season. Robbie, how do they get better? The Dragons? They have to go up. There's no, there, there are no excuses. Well, they, they, they lose Gareth Widdop. He's a big loss for them. Um, yeah, they just, as Adam said, it was a, a year of distractions for them right from the start, and I think they need to sort that, that out off the field. Um, and on the field, it's going to be interesting. You've got McGregor there who's under pressure. They've brought in Shane Flanagan, mm. um, who, you know, is going to be at, at the, the heels of, of Mary. Uh, if something goes wrong, you know, why have you brought in a, a former... NRL head coach as an assistant, you know, there's, and, and the media is going to be onto it. There's going to be a lot of pressure on the Dragons next year. Adam, do you think the Dragons regret extending McGregor? Um, I don't know if the, the right word is regret, Michael, at this stage, but I think... Poor like, timing? 
Yeah, I think the timing was strange. It was extremely strange. You, you can't sugarcoat that, the fact that they, they had a few good results at the start of the year. And they had narrow wins. They weren't convincing or anything like that against teams that were struggling at the start of the year. I think there was a win over Newcastle, a win over Brisbane. And I think they just wanted to put all that media talk to one side and just you know try and quieten it down while they extended his contract. But um, I think the next six to eight weeks are going to tell a huge, huge story, obviously. I think by that stage, they might know whether they regret decision or not. Right. From the biggest disappointment uh, to... A feel-good topic. Robbie, it was great to see what in 2019? It was great to see New South Wales win State of Origin, um, especially the way they won it. I think Queensland have always been known for winning those games late on and for New South Wales to pull a Queensland on Queensland in, in a decider and come up with this try with 30-odd seconds to go was, was great to see. I was out there that night. It was, it was such a great night and um, I think the tide is you know, finally turning. You know, Queensland had their era of dominance, unfortunately. Uh, for, you know, for, for those eight or nine years. But now we've seen New South Wales win you know, the last two series and I think they're going to go on to win a lot more in the near future. Adam? Magic round. I loved it, Zach. I thought it was fantastic yeah. having the festival of footy up there in Brisbane for four days. Uh, just, just a general good buzz around the city, wasn't there, for that, for that weekend up there in Brisbane. I thought the action on the field was fantastic. The ground, Suncorp Stadium, I, had, I must admit, I had some fears over the surface whether they'd be able to hold up to cater for eight matches. I thought they did a really good job. And I'd love to see next year just condense it by one night and maybe have you know a couple of games on Friday, Saturday and Sunday and just take away that Thursday night. You may get your wish, Adam. It sounds like that's what's in the pipeline. Which is so, good, yeah. yeah. Agree, completely agree. Uh, for me, the, the, it was great to see the opening of Bankwest Stadium and the way it changed the way we watch rugby league. I think now you know, ANZ Stadium was great for a grand final experience, but we all agree that ANZ Stadium in a week-to-week -week regular season isn't a great spectacle. This was, and unfortunately for, uh, for Robbie, this day wasn't a pleasant outing. Um, and, you know, well, you can't remember it anyway. It was nil well, all when I were off actually. the field. Yeah. <laughs> Lost my fantasy team that day. But, I, I, yeah, I think this has revolutionised rugby league. It's given the Eels something quite special, and we saw with that 58-0 drubbing in the semi-final, just how much it means to them and how much of an advantage it gives the Eels. So, yeah, Bankwest Stadium finally got a new one. Is, that a, is this a shout-out for Arthur Stanley? You're saying that just because <laughs> you want your own box out there next year? Yeah, corporate year. box next year. Look after me, N247. Yeah. Hey, Arthur. <laughs> and it was great. So one of the highlights of being there was uh, when Michael Sivo scored three tries against Manly, the thumbs up as he slid along, mm. but the, the chant, the Sivo chant when they played the Fijian music, it's special. You, well, you played there, Rob. I know you didn't have a lot of luck there, but it, mm. what's it like playing at that stadium? It's something I hate different. it. Well, I, think we <laughs> one, I think we won one, one game there all year, but look, no, it is. It, it's, a, it's a great stadium. I remember the first time I went there um, and you see the facilities, um, you know, how close the fans are to you. The atmosphere in there is incredible. Um, even when there's 10, 15,000, it feels like there's 30. So, you know, I think, as you said, um, it's, it's, a, it's just a rugby league stadium. It's what we needed in, in this state and I'm glad, it's, I'm glad it's here. All right, this is one of the more interesting... Uh statements. Uh, there is egg on the face of who, Adam? I'm saying people who think that Origin should only be played in Sydney and Brisbane. Oh, I love the fact we take Origin on the road. Perth this year, 60,000 people at Optus Stadium in the rain. It was just a fantastic spectacle, I thought. And we're going to Adelaide next year for Origin to start the series. And I think it should be done more often. Yeah. It means that we all get on junkets. It means that Robbie can get his business yeah, yeah. Uh, some work. It was, well, a, yeah. it was a long week in Perth, it must be said, that week. Do the players <laughs> like it, Robbie? You've played Origin. So what, do players like going on the road or should it be New South Wales or Queensland? Um, yeah, look, I'm a, I'm a bit traditional. I always was thinking it should be in Brisbane and, and, uh, and Sydney. Um, I only ever played in Melbourne outside of, outside of here. I made my debut in Melbourne, actually. So, uh, But, yeah, I, I can see the value in it now. Look, seeing Perth, I thought that was a great occasion. Adelaide's going to be un unreal as well. And I think for us to grow the game, 
we need to take these these sorts of games. It's it's our biggest spectacle, and we need to showcase that around the country. Let's take it back to the states. I'll be the first journo <laughs> yeah. uh, from a game in LA. Robbie, uh, who's got egg on their face? Am I allowed to say this? I'm a former player, so I hope <laughs> I don't get fined. But I just think the referees. I think the referees. Uh, to me, they don't use any sort of dis discretion when they're refereeing a game. I think they just see it as black and white, and and obviously they they were they were told this year to go in a certain way. And I think like the Simbinings went too far this year. There were some Simbinings as a player, I just shake, I just shook my head at. Like Cooper Cronk's one in the grand final, I thought was was disgraceful, and um, some of the ones like the the Trapoy, uh, Jakey's one in the semi final, I thought was soft. And I think we just went you know way too extreme on it. Uh, there was there was no balance at all. Um, I know they were consistent in their rulings, but I don't think they were right in what they were doing. Um, I just don't, I don't like the two referees, and we saw that in the grand final. Uh, yeah, if there was one referee there, Ben Cummins would have made the call and gone with his call, but then you've got the other referee that's, that's got a different opinion, and then that causes confusion. So for me, I'd love to see us go back to one. It might not happen, it probably won't ever happen, but I'd love to see us go back to one referee. Michael? Well, for me, there is egg on the face of Kevin Walters. The, the games and whatever he did around Origin with the coach whisper and not talking about New South Wales, not mentioning them. I, to be honest, I found that a bit embarrassing and it backfired massively. I think it detracted from what he was trying to do. I think his own team was a bit puzzled by his approach to the series and he was left with egg on his face. It was, you know, They were whiskers away from winning the series and he would have looked like a genius, right? But in the end, he got it wrong. And, uh, yeah, uh, for me, he's, he's the one who's left with egg on their face. I can't believe he could maintain that intensity for that whole period because it's, it's tough enough anyway, you think, in that arena, but the way he completely changed his personality. I remember seeing him a couple of weeks afterwards and it was so refreshing to see Kevy back making the jokes with the journos rather than being right. He wasn't just, himself. It looked, yeah, it looks so manufactured. Yeah. Yeah. And so what, what can we expect to see out of Kevy in 2020? What's the big That's thing? How does he approach it? Who knows? He can't do that again. He can't do that again. He, All right. he may, but he can't. And this, this is timely for this one. If I, if I could go back in time, Kevy might change what he'd do. I would. Chamis? I'd tell the Bulldogs not to sign Kieran Foran for $1.2 million. Like, look, I know Kieran's had his problems with his body, and I feel sorry for him what he's been through over the last few years, but $1.2 million, I think everyone at the time even realised that was way over. It was probably more than double what he was worth at the time, and potentially triple what he was worth. So he's, he's had a good back half of the year, Kieran, and he, he helps the Bulldogs when he plays. But he's hamstrung them with that $1.2 million. He's not worth $1.2. He, he may be worth three, four hundred thousand, and that's not saying he's not a good player. It's just not. He's just the Bulldogs are in a situa situation now because of the money they are paying him, and it's going to take two or three years to get out of it. What happens to Kieran at the end of next year? I don't think the clubs are lining up for him, and if you are lining up for him, if, you're not paying him a lot of money. But, but if he stays fit and he puts in the similar performances he did towards the back end of this year, what's he worth? I don't think he can stay fit. I don't think his body will allow him to play 25, 24 games a year. So is this the last time we'll see Kieran Foran in the NRL? Oh, I think he might get another contract. It will not be any, worth anywhere near what he's on at the moment, no. Okay, speaking of contracts, Adam? Yeah, this is a bit of an obscure one, Zach. I, I want to go back in time and tell NRL players and clubs to start honouring their contracts. And it, this works both ways. It's not a one-way street here because we, we always bemoan about players, you know, kicking stones and wanting to try and get an upgrade to their deal when they have one good season. But we also have clubs trying to manage players out of their roster and, and shop them around, basically. And I, I think the fans are just basically fed up with it. I think they want people to start, you know, honouring a deal. What's written on paper should be, you know, clad in... Uh, in, in you know, in stone, basically, and it's not. We know it's not. I just, I think there needs to be a massive overhaul of the contract system, how we deal with player contracts, and um, I just want to see some certainty in the game, basically. Robbie, 
he's well, he's been on the end of it. Yeah, you I, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, you know, I, I was, a, I'm a big believer in honouring a contract, and mm. that's what I believed when I went through what I went through at the Tigers. Um, but as you said, it's got to go both ways it's as a, well. It's we a two-way street. Hundred yeah, percent. Uh, clubs are doing it. Um, it all comes down to salary cap and the value of contracts. As you said, like with Kieran Foran, because he's on such a, a big contract, the Bulldogs will probably try and look to move him on. And then we see the opposite end of the, the spectrum where you know, we'll speak about in the, in, the, in the next question, I think, where with Ryan Madison at the Tigers, where you know, he's signed for a certain amount of money, then he all of a sudden thinks he's worth more, uh, then he's trying to break a contract. So, yeah, it's, it's coming both ways and play managers involved mm -hmm. and... Uh, it's, it's pretty messy, and I'd like to see us going back to actually a contract that, you know, being worth something mm -hmm. when you actually sign it. All right. What would you change if you could go back in time? Well, I'd make sure Tedesco never left the Tigers. You know, <laughs> I, I did it once. Uh, I helped once when I was there. Unfortunately, I wasn't there the second time. But, you know, seeing Teddy, and, and he was always going to be this good. He was, he, you know, seeing him as a young kid, um, I remember when you know, there was a bit of... Um, debate at the time from our CEO at the Tigers about what he was worth and Canberra had offered him this big deal and, and I said to our CEO, I said, mate, just give the kid whatever he wants because whatever you pay him now is going to be dwarfed mm -hmm. uh, in five years' time. He, you know, this kid's that good and uh, he's gone on you know, and good luck to Teddy, you know, he's gone on and he's won two premierships, he's won a, a Brad Fittler medal and uh, a couple of Origin series and things like that so you know, his career has gone on in leaps and bounds but it, it just kills me that it's not in the, uh, the black and gold of the Tigers. You could have cost the Raiders a premiership. That's what you're saying. <laughs> if you had to let him go in the back end, so don't tell me, that. Tell me that. It's cost the Tigers a premiership as well. Yeah. Uh, do, do you think, you know, with James Tedesco, do you think there's anything you could have said, though, to keep him? Because it sounded like he wanted to go anyway. Yeah, probably not at the time. Like, Teddy's obviously um, a yeah, pretty ambitious kid and he wanted to win. And look, when the Roosters come calling, it's pretty hard to say no. And I think he was a Roosters fan as a, as a kid, mm. I think, from memory. So, look, it was always going to be hard, but... Um, yeah, would have loved to have just yeah, found a way, any sort of way, to have kept him at the Tigers. Is that the Tigers JT moment when when the Bulldogs lost JT? Is that theirs? I don't even go that far and say JT. We could be close to him, Michael, but um, I, I don't know. They'll forever regret that decision, obviously, won't they? Letting him go. Like, well, they did, they gave him a million plus to stay. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't money at the it, end of exactly. the day. Exactly, it was, it was just money. more ambition, wasn't it? Really, that's that's yeah. And I, and I think the the state that our club was in at the time, yeah. um, you know. I guess made those players leave. They just weren't happy with the club at the mm. time. We were kind of all over the place. And um, you know, as I said, credit to them and credit to Teddy. Uh, he's, he's gone on and, and he's made the most of his career. All right, Robbie. The best thing you saw in 2019 was for me the emergence of um, a lot of younger players, but in particular Payne Haas. I think just seeing him, he is like the prototype of the NRL athlete for the next 10 years. Uh, he's mm. he's powerful. He's fast. Like this try against Penrith. This. Front rowers shouldn't be able to score these sorts of tries. This is just incredible. Um, yeah, the speed, the agility, and the fitness. Like you see the numbers he was throwing up every week. He was getting through close to 80 minutes a week. Um, you know, 20 or 30 carries, 30 tackles. Um, it's just incredible for such a young kid to come into his first full season in the NRL, almost finishing the top three in the Dally M's. Um, you know, I think he's, he's a player that can take Brisbane to the next level. Adam? The Mike Sivo story, Zach, I thought that was fantastic watching that unfold all year. Those chants you hear at Bankwest Stadium, Sivo, Sivo, it was brilliant. And then seeing his dad, Jolie, come out to Australia to surprise him at Parramatta training, I thought was absolutely fantastic. And the other one I wanted to make quick mention of was the way the NRL does their milestones these days, and Robbie can talk to this a bit more about honouring 300-game players. We saw Cameron Smith with his 400th game this year, the retiring players parade on Grand Final Day. I think they're doing a really good job of how they honour their uh, former greats. That, yeah. It was outstanding, really. You know, I, I experienced it, and mm. you know what the NRL did, and, and what the Tigers did for myself and my family was outstanding, and something I'll never forget. And 
um, even on grand final day, we were speaking about it mm. uh, off air earlier. It was a, it was great for for me and the other retiring mm. players to go out there and, and be honoured by the crowd and do our lap of honour and. Um, you know, credit to the fans, you know, they were all giving us a standing ovation and it was just a nice way to, to finish up uh, in the NRL. Michael? For me, the highlight of the year, Dancing Wayne at Suncorp Stadium. <laughs> I've got to agree. Uh, mate, it was unbelievable. I, I've, we've never seen a side of, of Wayne Bennett like this. This is unbelievable. I've seen a lot of memes going on about it. looks on like he's at a Lebanese wedding. It does look like he's walked into a wedding, Wayne <laughs> yeah. Bennett. It was, yeah, just to see the, the faces and what it meant to not only the players, but to, to oh, Cody Walker there, <laughs> but to Wayne, given what he went through at Brisbane last year, this for me was by far the best thing I saw this year. I think it was great to see a side of Wayne Bennett that, yeah, the public don't really get to see that often. You know, we all, we all see the Wayne Bennett at his press conferences and in front of the media, but yeah, he's really not like that in real life. I, I know Wayne personally, and uh, yeah, he, he's a great man. He's, he's actually quite funny, and uh, he's quite, he's uh, yeah, very light-hearted too. So it was great to see that side of Wayne. I know after that he said, "Oh, I forgot the cameras were even in there." I don't know <laughs> he, if he regrets. He, he would have been hating that. <laughs> he, hating that. But in the lead-up, there was he was all like, oh, "It's just another game. It's just another game." Yeah. And that that showed that was just not another game. It meant so much to him going up there. Uh, I will be surprised if Adam. There are not major changes to the match review process. I know there's been a lot of talk about referees, a lot of talk about judiciary. I think the major thing that needs an overhaul is the match review process. I think everyone is just confused, and Robbie can probably talk a bit more to that. Think <laughs> I've so? said enough on the referees. <laughs> no well, more. There will be. I'll probably get fined. There will be. Graham Hannes has hinted to as much. There will be some, yeah, they'll be looking at the way they do things and uh, that's been the big talking point, not just this year, for the last two or three years, the way the match review process goes on, the inconsistencies around a lot of those things. You've heard coaches call it a lottery, so I expect over the off-season there'll be some changes because there were some things that raised eyebrows this year. Speaking of eyebrows. Speaking of eyebrows. To you. <laughs> uh, for me, I'll be surprised if Sam Burgess plays on beyond 2020. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't finish 2020. From all reports, his shoulder is pretty bad, the arthritis in that shoulder. I know we've seen GI retire and his body fall apart over the last you know, 12 to 18 months of his career. I think, unfortunately, one of the greats of our time, Sam Burgess, is heading down a similar path and struggling to come you know, with his body. And we saw at the back end of the year, he wasn't himself. And he, yes, he was frustrated with the inconsistency around his performance and around judiciary matters, but I don't think his body will be the same again. Mm. Yeah, fair statement. And Robbie, have for any... myself, yeah, I'll be surprised if Ryan Madison actually remains at the Tigers next year, and and that pains me to say, but um, I think the way it's been handled, uh, it's it's been quite poor from himself and his management. And I love Matt; I, I get along with him really well. He's a, he's a great guy. Uh, he was one of our best players this year. Um, and look, uh, yeah, it's it's look, he had a great season, no doubt. I just think, you know, the thing is, you know, he thinks he's worth more. Um, yeah, he came to us as really a, a bench back rower and he had an outstanding season. Um, he shouldn't be upset with us uh, or the Tigers. Um, if anyone he should be upset with is his manager because his manager would say, well, this is what you're worth. This is the contract I think you should sign. Um, and if he believes he's worth more, play another great year. Halfway through next mm. year, the club will be looking to upgrade and extend him anyway. Mm. Mm. Uh, but I think the way um, he's been advised and the way it's been handled, I think, um, similar to the Ivan Cleary situation last year at the Tigers when it came out that he wanted to leave I just I, d I think it's beyond the point of return, and um, yeah, Ryan Madison will probably be at another club next year. It's virtually impossible for a club to do a good deal these days. Like the Tigers have done a really good deal with Ryan Madison, well, basically, and, and that's now a, it's a great it's it, a great deal. It's a great, a great deal. They did yeah. They paid him. Let's be fair though. From what he was doing at the Roosters, three fifty was a little bit over than what he was worth. They, no, I agree. they paid overs, right? So they did the right thing by him. And, and to me, I, I'm, I'm a bit old school in the fact that I think you have got to have more than one good season in the NRL yep. before you start to demand yep. big money. 
So if Ryan was to come out next year and have another great season, mm. maybe break in the state of origin, uh, break into the rep, the rep scene, the year after, there's no doubt he probably would have been offered twice as much to stay at the Tigers. Mm. What's he, what's he but, worth now? I know you're saying he should stick with the deal. Is he worth 500 plus? Look, he's probably worth more than what he's on. Mm. But you signed a contract, as we yeah. said earlier. Mm. You signed a contract. On your contract, the money will come down the track. Yeah. Have you ever been unhappy with a contract you've signed and just had to suck it up and go, well, uh, hopefully things will be better in the future? Of, co of course. Yeah. Of course. You know, I, I made my first grade debut. I think it was on $1,000 or whatever I was on. And, uh, you know, we, as a, as a kid, when I was coming through, you had to earn the right mm. to earn good money. And it wasn't until I was four, five, six years down in my NRL career that I started to earn good money. Mm. Whereas these days, players want everything yesterday. You know, they, they want mm. it straight away and, mm. and they want big money and they think they're worth more. And I think you ought to earn it. I just think you ought to earn it. Well, Robbie's not going to say this, but Benji and Robbie were equally as, as influential to the Tigers as Ryan Madison was this year. And, and Ryan's paid more, paid more than those two players. Benji's been playing... You know, I've got to ask Matter for a loan. I've got no money. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. He's like, on way more than me. He's on good money and he will get more money in time, but I don't think it'll be at the Tigers. It's, by the sounds of it, it's gone past the point of no return with the players as well. So. All right, our final statement. In 2020, there will be enormous pressure on who, Robbie? Yeah, well, I touched on it uh, earlier, as did Adam. I think Paul McGregor and the Dragons. Um, obviously, they, they've got a star-studded roster. They've underperformed now for a couple of seasons. Um, and the fact that they've, they've had a review... Uh, of the football department at the end of the season. They've brought in Shane Flanagan as an assistant coach who's a former NRL coach. I think that's going to even place more pressure on Mary. If, if the results don't come early, I think you'll see Shane Flanagan take over soon after. Well, the funny thing there is he can't, he's not meant to or not allowed yeah, to take over two years, which is another whole kettle of fish in itself. Yeah. Adam? Uh, two guys that wore, wore the New South Wales number seven this year, Zach. Mitchell Pearce and Nathan Cleary, they're always under pressure when you're in the New South <laughs> Wales halfback. But I'm, I'm more thinking on a club front point of view. I think it's a huge year for Pearce up there in Newcastle with a, a rookie head coach in Adam O'Brien coming up to take over. When Pearce is on, Newcastle's on. And his form has been a little bit up and down this year. I think it's a massive year for him in his career. And you can't sugarcoat the fact that since he's left the Roosters and Cooper Cromps come, they've won two premierships. The other guy is Nathan Cleary. Um, without James Mooney there this year, the, uh, next year they missed the finals this year. It's, it's a massive year for Nathan next year. And Michael? For me, it's the pressure's on Ivan Cleary. Uh, this year was unacceptable. They, they, they saved face a little bit towards the end of the year with the way they sort of got back into the, the top eight calculations but didn't finish in there. But for me, Ivan's under enormous pressure. He's cleaned out that roster again. What was a surprise was the state of their salary cap because if they didn't move on guys like Wunga Blake and Dallin Wateni Zelezniak and James Maloney, they would have been in all sorts. Campbell Gillard. Campbell Gillard moving on. So... I think Ivan Cleary, given, as Robbie touched on earlier, the way he left the West Tigers and the pressure he put on himself by going to the, the Panthers, they're under enormous pressure in 2020. I know he's got a five-year deal and he, he, won't, he won't lose his job, but it's embarrassing if they don't make the top eight next year. You were surprised by the state of their salary cap. Do you think Ivan was surprised by the state of their salary cap when he arrived? I have no doubt. And he took a while to wrestle back control of that. Uh, of that salary cap and there were some issues there with Phil Gould which eventually led to Phil Gould moving on from the club uh, but this is Ivan's Ivan's going to have to invest in the youth because there were so many players and there still are players on big money on long term deals and they're not worth nowhere near what they're getting paid so they're in a better spot but they're going to have to invest in youth again, which they did five years ago. So they've, they've gone back in time a little bit here, the, the Panthers. All right, that's 2019 season done and dusted. Before we go, though, we need to make a bold prediction for 2020. I'll start things off. The Roosters will miss the top four in 2020. Wow. Wow. Big call. No Cooper Cronk. And I think the desire and the hunger for three straight. This year they had it for back-to-back, -back, but I think it'll waver slightly. And 
They didn't have a lot go wrong. Yeah, Jake Friend, sure, but they had Sam Verrills come through. But if they lose a, a strike player like a, a Luke Keary for a long period, or I think um, they might struggle. I know he polled well this year, but my big bold prediction for next year is Payne Haas to win the Dalian medal. I think he's an absolute superstar, as Robbie touched on before. He plays in a Broncos team where I can't see a whole lot of other guys taking votes from him. I think Payne's in for a massive year in 2020. My bold prediction is another Dalian medal winner. I think Cameron Murray. Um, I think he was another kid that was outstanding this year. I think without, without him, I don't think Souths were a top four side this year. Um, I think uh, he's just going to get better and better. He's one of the best young talents I've seen as well. And maybe Payne and Cam Murray will fight out for the Dallium next year. Yeah, be a tight race. I'm going to be selfish. I'm going to have two predictions. I think oh, Matt Burden will win please. Rookie of the Year at the Panthers. I think he's a sensation, the young kid there. And the other prediction is Anthony Seabold will be looking for a job. Wow. Mm. Wow. By the end of the, I think, I think it's his last year at Brisbane next year. If if they don't make the eight, and we reported earlier that there is a clause there that allows Brisbane out early with with a limited payout, I think uh, Anthony Seabold's time could be up at the Broncos. That is a very bold prediction, uh, Michael. As always, thanks for your great work, Robbie. Uh, thank you for coming in, even though you've been enjoying retirement. Uh, the business two four seven, plenty going on. Plenty going on, few trips planned, uh, Miami Super Bowl next year, so right. Jamis wants to jump on board. <laughs> he wants to come over as uh, our exclusive reporter. But well, I'm his agent, so that's, that's <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Adam please. wants to come as well. I'll be there in a heartbeat. Oh, Super Bowl. Go. Yeah, good. And uh, Adam, keep up the great stuff and uh, enjoy the spring yeah, carnival. Yeah, thanks, Zach. I'll enjoy the races and get back into the footy uh, early next year. And more importantly, uh, thank you for tuning in for this show and, of course, throughout the whole year. Stay tuned to NRL.com. We'll be covering the World Nines and all the test matches ahead of uh, 2020 next year.